Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unk, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unk podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unk, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Good sleep should come naturally, and with the new Natural Hybrid mattress, it can. A collaboration between Lisa and West Elm, the Natural Hybrid is expertly crafted from natural latex, natural wool, and certified safe foams to elevate your sleep sanctuary and support a greener tomorrow. Plus, every purchase helps fuel Lisa's work with shelters and those in need. Don't put off a good night's sleep any longer. Get a Lisa mattress today for a sound sleep tonight. Visit lisa.com slash iHeart. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com slash This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. Brought to you by Toyota. Let's go places. Welcome to Forward Thinking. Hey there and welcome to Forward Thinking, the podcast that looks at the future and says, how does it feel to be one of the beautiful people? I'm Jonathan Strickland. I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And I'm Joe McCormick. And uh, if you were listening to our last episode, uh, you realized that we were talking about space babies, making babies in space. Babies in space. Space. Yes. Yeah, Uh, with the fact that, uh, I mean, if we're going to space, we're going to have to make new humans there sometime. Yeah. uh, Barring some form of immortality, uh, we will definitely, in order to continue the human species, need to make more babies. And as it stands, there are some big challenges in the way, some some risks out there, and we aren't completely aware of all the consequences those risks may have. So, right. So we wanted to talk about what are some of the challenges we're facing in terms of making babies in space and uh, how might we overcome them? Last time we talked about radiation. Yeah. There's lots of radiation in space, yes. uh, both of a different nature than the radiation we usually encounter here on Earth. 
And lots of people have uh, suggested that this poses a risk to pregnancy in space. Suggested that probably with good reason, right? Right. I mean, radiation is one issue. But today we wanted to talk about another thing that we really are just starting to uh, understand when it comes to its effects on organisms. I'm talking about microgravity. Yeah. So what happens when you take a pregnant animal and put it in space? It where pretty it much floats. freaks out. Well, I imagine. imagine, yeah, it does freak out. Uh, but what happens to its health and the health of its children? So we have a little bit of information about this, but not, not a, a wealth of information, right? Because we don't have any examples of mammals conceiving or giving birth in space. Uh, we have some other animals that have conceived in space. We'll have a, a lovely inspirational story about a cockroach later on in this <laughs> podcast. But and jellyfish. Don't forget about the jellyfish. I like to call them jellies rather than jellyfish because a friend of mine works at the Georgia Aquarium and would get on my case if I said anything else. Gosh, you should see what happens when I call them starfish. That's And I'm not talking about starfish starfish. I'm talking when I call jelly starfish. He gets really mad. But anyway, yeah, we don't have a lot of information about what microgravity's effect would be uh, for uh, for especially for for humans. I mean, humans having a baby in space, we don't really know. We're starting to study it, and it looks like microgravity could have some pretty uh, some pretty extensive effects on some development. Some pretty serious and potentially completely unexpected. Yeah, yeah. So. Uh, there is evidence that you can subject pregnant animals to space and they can still give birth yep. and all and do to, all the stuff like babies. Yeah, mm-hmm. it can happen. The question is, what are the total effects and what causes these effects? And it, it can be really tricky to uh, uh, to even come to those conclusions. Right. Because you have to take into consideration a lot of variables, some of which may not have anything to do with the animal being in microgravity. You know, there are a lot of genetic markers that you have to take into consideration. This is why it's really complicated whenever you look at any study that deals with uh, development in this case, because there's so many things going on that narrowing it down to saying microgravity causes this can be tricky. Although there are certainly some experiments that we'll talk about that seem to have some pretty dramatic results. Yeah. Yeah. Like, for example, uh, there's one that we that you cited i think you found the uh the study joe about uh a a study where they used they didn't actually send uh cells up into space uh they used a a, a device to simulate microgravity uh in uh doing in vitro fertilization for um mouse eggs right mm-hmm. right and the idea was to find out what would the effects of microgravity be on that. And the, in fact, in, in this case, we're talking about a 3D clinostat as the device. Now, what a clinostat does is it rotates along at least one axis. Uh, 3D would rotate on multiple axes, but rotate on at least one axis so that gravity would equally affect all parts of whatever it is you're testing. Uh, the idea being that it all cancels out in the end. So, for example, uh, I saw a lot of experiments that they essentially used a uh, second hand on a clock because usually it's like one revolution per minute for these experiments. So second hand on a clock, is that's exactly what you want. And they would um, affix seeds to some sort of um, uh, substance that would allow them to grow. 
you know, some sort of soil substitute uh, attached to the second hand. And the idea being that because it's rotating around and all different sides of the seat are being exposed to gravity uh, equally, it's the same as microgravity. So you got to understand that we're simulating it in this case. It's not true microgravity. It's because it's tricky to actually get time aboard any kind of scientific study that's going up into space that that their time is really precious but hey if you want to subsidize your trip to space you might want to see if there are any uh scientific organizations that will pay you to conduct these experiments while you're up there yeah yeah one of the tricky things is that if you are to harvest uh egg cells they are only viable for a short time after you've harvested them right i mean you can freeze sperm cells for a really long time but egg cells for mice you know you, you pretty much need to use them quickly in order for them to have a chance of producing to remain viable yeah so uh if you know being able to harvest those egg cells and then immediately get them aboard a spacecraft that immediately can launch which by the way uh then exerts hypergravity on everything because oh yeah (laughs) which is a whole other set of problems or potentially solutions right well but at any rate you don't really know what the effect on the (laughs) cells was at that point you could say though was it the hypergravity that caused this effect or the microgravity later on that caused this effect but in other words it's just really hard to get the cells you need up into space long enough to look at the effects of microgravity. I mean, you could do a parabolic arc flight on a, a plane. Uh, but that doesn't really last long enough to perform yeah. the experiments that you want to do. You're talking about like 90 seconds of weightlessness. It's not enough for you to be able to really have any meaningful data. Right. So that's why they use the clinostat here on Earth to kind of simulate microgravity. Now, in that case, when they did this experiment, uh, the scientists discovered that the uh, the fertilized eggs that developed into embryos and then eventually developed into live offspring, like they, the the mice that were born, were fine. They they took the fertilized eggs and they implanted them into mice uh, that carried the live offspring and then gave birth. However, it was a much lower rate of live offspring than the control group. So. And they discovered that the longer the cells remained in microgravity, the less viable they would become. So you'd see something like a 17% live birth success rate compared to the control groups, uh, somewhere around like 50%. So uh, that suggests that at least for mice, uh, and at least in the simulated microgravity, there could be some issues with uh, embryos developing with, yeah yeah with with the ability to get pregnant yeah more recently uh just last year there were a bunch of articles coming out trying to link this uh recent paper from the university of montreal mm-hmm. research team to the possible effects of microgravity on humans now what this study was about was plants yeah. actually uh it was which called- un- unless you know some some certain humans that i know don't tend to really be equivalent to people right okay uh, yeah, so it was referred to as cell wall assembly and intracellular trafficking in plant cells are directly affected by changes in the magnitude of gravitational acceleration. So in a lot of popular reporting, um, basically people cited this study which found that uh, different gravitational effects affected the plants not just on a macro level but at, on a cellular level. So the ability of the plants to do this process called intracellular transport, sort of taking materials through the cells, sort of the traffic flow at the cellular level of materials, that mm-hmm. was disrupted by changes in gravity. And obviously and, in, in any early organic development, that would be 
incredibly important. Yeah, it would. Uh, and there is some parallel because some of these same intracellular transport processes happen in humans. Uh, sure. I mean, stuff like, like proteins have to get in between different cells. Stuff like that. And there was evidence in one bit of research about fruit flies uh, reproducing in microgravity that a protein transfer process was being affected. But we'll talk about that in just a couple minutes. You know what, Lauren? No, no, no. I I don't want to wait. I don't want to wait to find out what happened to those fruit flies in space. I want to hear about it right now. Right now. Right now. (laughs) Okay, so there was some form of issue with the way that these cells were being able to exchange proteins. How is that going to affect the fruit fly? I mean, what does that actually mean? It, It means that it will die terribly of fungal infection. Whoa, this got dark fast, Lauren. Yeah, it's funny. It's just fruit um, flies. It's okay. Well, fruit flies, as it turns out, are really useful for these kind of experiments. Uh, and uh, in this case, when we're talking about the proteins that are being exchanged that helped with being able to do things like resist fungal infections, uh, it's a big deal. They did discover that bacterial infection, that that immune response was fine, right? The, the fr- flies were not more susceptible to bacteria, but they were more susceptible to fungus. They had not develop that that defense against them. Uh, Right. And the important thing to note here is that humans and other mammals have really similar immune systems to fruit flies. The uh, one of the Nobel Prizes in 2011 was actually won over the discovery of this. Um, This particular study, not the one about the immune systems, but the one about the fungal infections uh, was done on the space shuttle discovery. And uh, yeah, for, for some reason or another, and one of the projections is that it might have been protein transfer problems. Um, yeah, the, the the immune systems of flies that developed in space were different. Yeah, and also if they were under hypergravity instead of microgravity, but as in, they're raised in a centrifuge, essentially, uh, they it was discovered that they had um, Better. boosted, boosted right. yeah, resistance to fungal infections and still no affected uh, uh there was no effect on their bacterial resistance. Might you say that they had created a superfly? I I would, in fact, say they created a superfly. Of course you would. I know I would. Uh, I am just sad that I didn't say it first. I have a question. Yeah. Um. So we've talked about how microgravity might affect uh the say a developing fetus, but what about mothers? Like a would a pregnant woman have any particular risks associated with microgravity? Well, I I only know of one fact that might inform us on this, which is that in 1983, the Soviet space program uh, sent up they, – they were like, well, let's see what happens to a pregnant rat in space. Of course they were. So they sent the pregnant rat into space for several days, and uh, their observations in the end said that the mother seemed to suffer more than the offspring – that basically the mother uh, gained less weight than you would expect from a from a pregnant rat, uh, and had decreases in muscle mass and liver mass and um, hemoglobin. Oh, the, uh, I think the muscle mass and I, I feel like hemoglobin are two common things that happen to to astronauts just when they're up in space, not pregnant at all. Mm-hmm. Um, you certainly are going to lose muscle mass from not uh, not moving, not not using your skeletal structure the way that you would yeah, under not, the effects of gravity. You're not under the resistance of mm-hmm. gravity. Yeah, and, so. and bone mass also decreases, stuff mm-hmm. like that. And whether <laughs> whether or not that would be a significant impact on a pregnant woman and whether or not that would in turn impact the fetus is definitely a thing to think about. Oh, sure. Yeah, it's a huge concern. And obviously, again, uh, a pregnant woman undergoing the stresses of both hypergravity 
assuming that she the conception happened on Earth, and also then microgravity. These are you know, big things to to consider and really hard to test for. Yeah, you know, just like we were saying with the radiation episode, uh, developing tests that. That would allow simulate us simulate this. Yeah, right. we'd have to be able to simulate in some way so that we could gain more information and have the best practices. But you know, it raises lots of ethical issues. Well, let's look at some actual practical examples of animals uh, born or not born, but uh, yeah, sure, born or conceived in space. Yeah. Okay. All right. How sure. about how about cockroaches? You mentioned them earlier. Yeah. Fantastic. Uh, so this cockroach was named Hope. Was named uh, Nadezda. Nadezda. I, I don't speak Russian. Nadezda. Nadezda, which translates to hope. Right. Uh, and I believe that this cockroach is, as far as I know, it's the first animal to have conceived in space. So that that got, at least has admitted to it. Yeah, they got pregnant in space. So yeah. it was a 12-day space mission, September of 2007, conducted aboard a uh, Russian satellite. By the Institute of Biomedical Problems. I love that it's the Institute of Biomedical Problems. Uh-huh. They don't have solutions, just uh, problems. Hope conceived a brood of 33 little cockroach babies, uh-huh. which hatched uh, later after they returned to Earth. So how do these space-conceived baby cockroaches hold up? Uh, well, so there was first an early report in October of 2007 in Novosti, uh, the Russian newspaper. Uh, and it said that they were eating and drinking and seemed healthy, but the researchers noticed an accelerated darkening of the carapace, uh, which usually remains translucent longer in juveniles. Yeah. And then there was a subsequent report in January 2008, again from Novosti, which quoted the lead researcher here, uh, Dmitry Atyakshin. Atyakshin? Yeah. And so here is what was reported. Accelerated body and limb growth. Uh, the ones conceived in space could crawl faster than the average cockroach, and they were, quote, much more energetic and resilient than the others. So, well, so this is terrifying. Right. So, okay, so let me get this straight. Microgravity makes fruit flies uh, vulnerable to fungus, but turns cockroaches into super cockroaches. <laughs> According to this report, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, is- the 33 little baby cockroaches uh, are the result of this mad science experiment doom that's going to doom conceived the planet. Conceived in space. Right. The question so, is, does the line in there? Yeah. What happens with the next generation, Joe? Are you telling me that there are super duper cockroaches running around Russia? No, I. OK, so Hope's children, number one, not sterile from the procedure. So conceived in space, fertile on Earth. So uh, they so, could. So she's so she's a grandmother. Right. Uh, so very a, a batch of 30 plus little critters uh, of <sighs> Hope's grandchildren. But uh, I haven't read any reports of them carrying over the super duper traits that were initially reported. And I have to admit, for some reason, I just feel a little bit skeptical about the the super cockroaches. But, you know, maybe. Yeah, actually, the the reports I read specifically said that the the grandchildren of hope were uh, indistinguishable from our ordinary boring earth cockroaches that continue to give me the heebies and the jeebies. Uh, well, there's, there's of course, a difference between genetic effects that happen to uh, a person's somatic cells, their body cells, mm-hmm. and the genetic effects of something that happens to their reproductive cells. Well, mm-hmm. maybe we'll see that it skips a generation and the great-great-grandchildren will end up towering over Kiev. <laughs> well, they're cockroaches, so I'm sure there have been several generations since then. I'm not sure what happened to them. Mm. Oh. Terrifying. 
though it's worth stating that this is not the same as a mammal giving conceiving in space and then having grandchildren. Absolutely not. Uh, not because, even for lawyers. No, these are these are cockroaches. They're not mammals and and that really does matter. Mm-hmm. Like cockroaches are known to be fairly resistant to radiation. That's something we talked about in the last episode was the risk that radiation poses and I imagine while microgravity obviously is a big factor here, radiation was probably the main risk for the cockroaches giving birth to sterile children. Sure. But, uh, but so we know that the, the roaches got past it. All right. So, uh, so we've talked about the cockroaches. Do we have any other examples of critters what were either born or conceived in space? Well, we mentioned, uh, not jellyfish, but jellies. Jellies. Ah, jellies. Moon jellies. Right. Mm-hmm. Aurelia arita. So not conceived, but born in space. Maybe not born, born-ish. As much so as jellies speak. are born at all. They're, gotcha. they're, they're kind of polyps and then they sort of. Yeah. They, Basically, the, a polyp separates into what's called ephorae, which are like larvae. Yeah. Uh, and and these were timed before and after launch. So there was a study published in 1994 chronicling what happened here. Uh, it, jellies spent nine days aboard the space shuttle during their uh, ephorae and polyp stages, and then they were returned to Earth. Now, what's interesting here is that jellyfish have graviceptors, these organs that receive fields of gravity so that they can tell which way is up underwater right and there are these little hairy pockets containing calcium sulfate crystals and that helps them orient their bodies with respect to earth's gravity that that become i mean anyone who's ever been underwater and then gotten disoriented knows how how crazy confusing and scary that is mm-hmm. oh, right uh, sure and in humans it's a inner ear fluid issue i think yeah yeah, but- yeah. So, you know, having this kind of organ is very important for animals that need to be able to maintain their orientation in any given time in, under the water. Yeah. Or anywhere. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, for jellies, under the water is pretty much where you want to be. Yeah. That or in space. <laughs> or, or in Jonathan's bed. Oh, please, no. No more jellies in bed. My wife um, has already yelled at me for peanut butter in bed. I don't, I don't need jellies in there, too. <laughs> Okay, so the study found that the jellies that developed in space were, quote, morphologically very similar to the ones from Earth. So basically, you look at them, you don't see a big difference. Right. Um, They seem pretty healthy, but what were observed were, quote, pulsing abnormalities. (laughs) So the ones that were uh, born in space, and that just means you see like a jellyfish pulse through the water. Sure, yeah. Like the the contraction movement that propels it. So so their movement, their, their mechanism for movement had changed. Yeah, the pulsing abnormalities were found in about 18.3% of the space-developed larvae, whereas the one, the controls back on Earth, it was just 2.9%. Oh, wow. So it was definitely observed that the ones that were sort of born-ish, if you call that born or whatever, in space, had troubles with orientation and with their, their gravity organs. Mm, interesting. So yeah, I mean that now obviously that would be different for humans than jellies. I mean, I don't Oh know. yes, absolutely. But, but the the implication is that when you have such a different environment than the one that we've evolved to uh interact with on on you know in our regular lives, uh the the outcomes can be unpredictable, right? We don't necessarily know what's going to happen. I mean, you know, if if we are evolved so that we can deal with a certain amount of radiation and a certain amount of gravity, then when you take us out of that that scenario and then uh, you know try to uh, reproduce, 
there could be some some big issues and that's really what this is all about is you know how do we how do we find out what those are how do we uh, address them. How do we prevent them? In fact, that's what we should really talk about. How do we prevent any problems from microgravity possibly uh, interfering with our reproductive cycle? Well, we could just go to a planet with accelerated gravity, give birth to all children there, and then they'd all be superhumans, right? Good, so, good so plan. right, yeah. So Krypton type thing, you right? Know. Right, with a different color sun, so that we all get. Cool. That, we that have to be able to absorb yeah. that energy and then real science. We can fly through some mechanism that has never been adequately explained. I like this idea. Let's not even discuss any others. Okay. Well, we gotta, we kind of have to just, uh. we have to be, we have to be thorough. Well, I mean, of course, the other one would be a big one for uh, humans in space in general, which is artificial gravity. Yeah, yeah, they have that on all of those fancy Star Trek programs and basically <laughs> everything else that happens in space and sci-fi ever. Yeah, you just got to make sure you flip the switch. And as long as the switch is on, you're good to go. How would you actually create artificial gravity? Well, we won't go into too much detail because we'll probably do a whole episode about this in the future. Yeah, there's there's ways that you could simulate gravity, although there are questions about how oh, yeah. uh, effective that would be. So essentially creating the whole centripetal force and centrifugal effect by rotating whatever spacecraft you're on along an axis so that you can you know uh, create an artificial kind of gravity that way. But there, there's some debate about how effective that would be. Then there's always the, well, all we have to do is figure out what the heck gravitons are and then harness <laughs> them to our will and we're fine. Oh, sure. Yeah, that sounds easy. <laughs> Perfect. Let's, let's just first let's prove this hypothetical thing exists. And then second, we have to find a way of manipulating it. And then it's all gravy. Uh, but yeah, I mean, these are these are real problems. I love the idea that in the future we have like – a planet set aside that's kind of like those those motels where you rent by the hour. That's just where you go when it's time for, for you to yeah for babies. It's that's the space baby motel. Is that one planet that's gonna that planet's gonna have a great reputation? Well, the joke you made actually does raise good questions because a lot of what's still to be determined is with these two major risk factors, radiation and microgravity. We don't know exactly the uh, duration and the stage of development where these are most important. Yeah. So, like, it may be that there are only certain times when it's really important to avoid these things, mm -hmm. and that other times, you know, that a fetus might be just as resilient yeah, as an adult. It could be negligible, yeah. Oh, right, right. We don't know yet. Uh, like, with, with the kind of radiation that we are exposed to on Earth, knowing that the first trimester is really where it gets into kind of scary danger territory, but during the second and third, you're more or less okay. Yeah, who knows what if we were to find out that you can be pregnant in microgravity as long as you give birth in a gravity environment. Mm -hmm. I, I'm not saying that's true. That's just one sure, example just of weird yeah. things mm -hmm. we could find out. Yeah. Yeah, we don't know. I mean, it's it is interesting, especially when you but when we do look at the effects that microgravity has had on adults out in space, it certainly raises some questions, things like the fact that, you know, muscle mass and 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 your bone mass uh, deteriorate over time, it makes you wonder how would that develop in a new life form? Uh, I mean, these are big questions, and we don't have the answers yet. And like we've been saying, you know, developing an, uh, a way of addressing these questions uh, ethically. ethically is, that's that's a big trick. You know, it's, it's tough. It's one of those, you know, areas of study that uh, I expect is going to take some time for us to really, to really get a handle on. Yeah. The moral of the story is if you're one of those people who really, really loves babies and you really, really love space, 
You need to get to work on artificial gravity and active radiation shielding. Yep. So uh, get back to us. <laughs> Because we'd be really interested to hear about your work. Definitely. Uh, and in fact, that, that leads me to another another thing I wanted to address. Uh, go to fwthinking.com. It's a great website. No, seriously, you should go. It's uh, Actually, that's where all of our podcasts are. It's where our blog posts are. It's where our videos are. We talk about a lot of stuff in a lot of different ways. So uh, if you enjoyed the podcast, go check it out because I think you're going to find a lot of stuff there that you'll really enjoy as well. And then you can tell us about how much you enjoyed all that stuff by going to Twitter, Facebook, or Google Plus and looking for FW Thinking. We have profiles on all of those social platforms, and we'd love to hear from you. And meanwhile, we will talk to you again really soon. For more on this topic and the future of technology, visit forwardthinking.com. Brought to you by Toyota. Let's go places. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride-or-die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Tired of restless nights? At Lisa, we know good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. From memory foam mattresses to hybrids that keep you cool all night long, Lisa's mattresses offer exceptional comfort and support with free delivery and 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details.